If you guys haven't been with us yet, uh, as recently, we are talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We're going through the Beatitudes, and it's, it's super exciting stuff. Because one of the things I love about the Beatitudes is, if we were to kind of preface this in one of the things that Jesus talks about in the book of Matthew, he says, you know, I, I, didn't, um, I, I, I didn't come um, to, to burden. And, and the idea of that is when he talks about, um, he actually says, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And in the understanding of the Jewish mindset, when you were a disciple of a teacher or a rabbi, right, you would take their yoke upon you. That was their teaching. That was how they interpreted the law. That was how they saw things, how they, how they taught it. If, if, you know, and sometimes you'd be so close to that rabbi, like even if he would go into the bathroom, you would go with him because you didn't want to miss it. If he was going to say something amazing about God, you wanted to be there. Creepy, right? Can you imagine sitting outside the stall of your teacher and everything okay in there? Any pearls of wisdom? Anyway, so um, some of you are with me in my bathroom humor and I apologize. Um, but, you know, Jesus, so he, he says, my yoke is easy. He's saying my teaching you know, what, what I've come to give you is not something that's going to burden you. And a lot of times people look at the Sermon on the Mount as if it's more law, and it's not. It's not more law, okay? It's a declaration of God's kingdom. It's not about more rules. In fact, if we really look at the Sermon on the Mount and what it's all about, you can't attain it, right? We talked about that. In fact, let's, let's do a little recap here because it's genius stuff. The order is... is Honestly, the way it's supposed to be. I mean, it's almost like Jesus is a genius. I don't know if you guys know this. Okay? It, it, sometimes people... And this is... Oh, this gets me. Because when I was at Biola, I was in um, a lot of apologetics and philosophy at Biola. And I loved it because, like, to me, I love to engage the mind. You know, some, some of you guys are more about emotions. And I love emotions, too. But I love mind stuff. You know what I mean? I just love sitting there and, like, wondering why we can wonder why. That we even wonder why. That we wonder why. Right? You know, you start getting into that. I think, therefore I am. And there's all these different things that you can... Why is it? Because we're the only creature in, in the entire like world that wonders why. And why we ask why, right? That's where they, we're it. And so what I, what I love is Jesus, when you really come to the simplicity of the gospel, it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. It's like seeing that simple little gem that shines, but when you really get close, there's all these cuts and facets that make it just so complex. And that's the pearl of what Jesus is giving us, the gem of the scripture. And, and when you look at why he set it up the way he set it up, there is a point and there is a purpose, and I love it. So if we look at the first aspect, which was blessed are those who are poor, right? Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, which is something we can't attain. And again, if you're taking notes and you want to crank the blank, this is the time to do it. But um, th this is just that recap, if, if you weren't here last week, uh, or two weeks ago, and then the week before. Uh, we can't attain it, and we need to be authentic in seeing how we are truly poor. We need to be authentic with ourselves. And then last week, we talked about which leads us to mourning. If we're poor in spirit, then we can come to this idea of how we're mourning, and how we're blessed because we recognize the darkness and lostness within us. As Christians, we are to be holistic. We are to be not hypocrites. When someone points out how wrong we are, we should be the first to say, you know, maybe you're right. Because I know I'm a jerk. Because I'm honest with myself. How many times have I hurt my family? How many times have I lost it? How many times have I not done what God has called me to do? And the Christian is to be the most realistic with the world around him. They should be the first to say, 
I'm sorry. They should be the first to forgive. They should be the first to do those things. Not because they have that power. It's just they recognize who they truly are. And then they respond without to that around them, in that. Do you get what I'm saying? So, by the way, all this was revolutionary back then, as much as it is today. All this was really hard to grasp, not because it was very difficult to understand, but because it was like, wow. And a lot of times you have Jesus' disciples saying to him, how can anybody do this? This is really hard. And I thought your teaching was supposed to be easy and your yoke was supposed to be light. (laughs) You get it? Because at the end of this, by the way, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But it all comes back to, we can't get this on our own. This isn't more law. Because if this is more law, go out and be perfect. Go for it. Just go ahead and do it. Be perfect. You can't. You just can't. And so what we have is we have these two declarations. Right before, he says, this is who we really are. Now, how do we respond to how the world really is? And that's what we have in this next beatitude. This next beatitude is the how of our response to the world around us. This beatitude is more about the relationship that we have with others than it is about ourselves. We are connected to others whether we like it or not. And as new creations, new creations in God's kingdom, what does that look like? How are we to respond? See, Christianity was never thought like meant to be just a thought or an ideology or a philosophy. It wasn't meant to be something that we read, think about, Ooh, that's nice. And then walk away. Christianity demands a change. It demands a choice. As Joshua said to the people before they entered God's promised land, he said, choose this day whom you will follow and whom you will serve. Will it be God or will it be yourself and the world? And the same thing goes with what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, this is the truth. And he lays it on the table. And he says, are you going to take it? And that's what I love about this beatitude. Because what we see in this next beatitude is, is what it means to live out the words of Christ. To be red-letter Christians. To be Christians who say, I'm not just a follower and a believer, but I live it. I do it. And not because I can get it, it's because God does it through me. It was meant to be lived out amongst fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, employees and employee, uh, employers, governments and citizens, even tyrants and oppressed. So let's look at this today as we find ourselves in this third beatitude. In a world that is not living for the family of God, how are God's sons and daughters to live? Lord, we just come before you and we thank you for this word. We we thank you for the fact that your word is true. This isn't anything like new, quote unquote. But I know as I go through it, you reveal new things. Your mercies are new every day. And Lord, as I've looked at these, this, the Beatitudes and just reading the sermon, I realize how much I need your mercy. You know, people might look at me, oh, here he's a pastor and, you know, he's got this and his life is so in order. But I know the truth. I know the truth of how wretched I really am. I know the truth of my own thoughts and my own misgivings and even my own misconduct and I see who I really am and I say Lord I am so poor but you've come to me anyway 
And Lord, I, I, I know I can't attain it, but you give it freely as you gave your Son on the cross, Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that as I sit here in my morning realizing that I can do nothing, you've called me to respond. And you want us to respond to your word today and see what you have for us as we look at what it truly means to be meek. You are awesome and we love you. And we just look to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you could do me a favor and leap to your feet, stand up. We're going to go ahead and read God's word. Now, some of you guys are like, are, like I'm in, like, I'm stuck, <laughs> to say the least, because we're reading the same passage every week. But that's okay, because this is a good passage to memorize. So it's a great time for you to memorize it. Now, I'm giving that, I'm giving that to you. I probably won't memorize it, because I stink at memorization. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying, okay? But it's kind of like the guy with a little bit of talents. I've got like one talent in memorization, so I'm just hoping to give back one more. That's it. Some of you guys are like my wife, where you're like, you can memorize anything and everything. You've got to give back a lot more. Does that make sense? So anyway, let's go ahead and read this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, you may be seated. Question, really quick. How many of you were called meek this week? Anybody? You weren't like me, you're out hunting with your buddies. I was knee deep in a, in a deer, just gutting it, you know, blood all over me, and I'm just doing my thing. And my, my, my fellow brother was like, Chris, I just have to tell you, you, you are such a meek guy. <laughs> no, that never, okay. It's not something we really get, right? No, I've never been knee, that's my, bro, my brother actually wants me to go hunting deer with him. And I said, I like to hunt, but I don't know if I'm that dedicated. Because you really got to get into that deer once you kill it. And I'm not into that. So, <laughs> um, But this idea of meek is, is one of those ideas that I think we really don't get. Does that make sense? And I, and I want to kind of look at the idea of meekness today. And, and maybe what it's not, and then maybe what it is. So you, if you want, you can come along with me. If not, you know, you can put on the headphones and, and check out. Um, first thing we have to look at is that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. This is a really common misunderstanding of the word meek. Like, we are to be, if God is calling people, his, his people to be meek, or if he's saying, blessed are the meek, then whoever is walked upon like a doormat must be inheriting the kingdom of God, must be inheriting the earth, because that's what this means, right? Meekness, because it's very misunderstood. It's kind of like if anybody out there have ever seen or read the books, Lord of the Rings, there's this character known as Wormtongue. 
And Wormtongue is this great character who kind of is, is the, I don't know, how else you could say it, the, the, the whipping boy to Soramon the wizard. And he basically just, you know, stands behind him like this, cowering and whatever you want, my lord, and whatever it is. And is Wormtongue meek then? Will he inherit the earth? Is that what it's about, to be the whipping boy? You know, when someone says you're sick and you say, that's right, I'm a disease, I make myself sick. Please, sir, may I have another? No, that's not what this is about. But that's what is implied in the meekness. See, if we were to understand true meekness, it is in the context of relationships because it it, it is meant, or it is, I guess, in relationship to how we treat others. A meek spirit should characterize our relationship with both man and God. Now, the, the word for meek is praus. And this is a, um, not, not a lot of you, I know, no, no Greek. I don't either. That's why I study it. I have to study it all the time because it's very difficult. But praus is an interesting word. It, it literally means intense or great power under control. A good example of this is anesthesia. Anesthesia, used in the right way, is very powerful. It's very helpful. But if you get too much anesthesia, then the anesthesiologist can be convicted of murder because it will kill you. Another example of this is a stallion, a wild stallion. One of the movies that my kids watched a while ago was this movie called Spirit. Uh, and, and it was about this uh, this amazing stallion who was running and, and had a whole herd of, of, of wild horses and they were free and they were running around. But honestly, they were, you know, just kind of, they're out there. See, the idea of Prowse is to take that wild stallion and not to subjugate it in a mean way, but to take it and train it so that it's more useful. So that that stallion can now be used to, to march and take things under a will or a power that's better and more important than it. So here you have this stallion that's very powerful, but given the right taming can be used for so much more. As opposed to just running the hills free and wild. Do you get it? That's the concept of prowess. By the way, a great understanding of this is Moses. Moses was a prince of Egypt. He had everything, everything under his control at one point. He could have been the next Pharaoh. And yet, God didn't call him when he was the prince of Egypt. He called him when he was in the middle of the desert at 80 years old, who had lost some sheep, and he had nothing. And yet, what does Moses do? Under the power of God, he goes back to Egypt, to the greatest empire of the ancient world at the time. And he says, let my people go. And they laugh at him, right? Because it's like this 80-year-old shepherd. But great power under control can topple empires. And that's what happens with Moses as God uses him as his staff and as it uses him through the whole setup. If you know the story of Moses and how the plagues of Egypt and finally Pharaoh, the greatest emperor of all time in that ancient world, says, get out of here. Your God is too much. He's too powerful for my gods. And yet you have Moses, just some old shepherd. And he goes like this, and the waters part because it's great power under control. Spirit of God. Even better than that, look at Jesus Christ. 
Again, we're going to celebrate Christmas where he comes as this little baby. It's God. It's Emmanuel. God in a bod. You can't get more power than that under control. I mean, there's this great scene when he's standing before Pilate and all these people and they're accusing him and they're going to, they're going to murder him. And he knows it. And he says this and it's so telling. He says, I, no one takes my life. I gladly lay it down. If I wanted to, I could call a myriad of angels. I could call millions of angels. One of them could slay all of you. And I can call thousands, millions of them. But I don't. Because I, my father has a purpose. Now I'm embellishing a little bit, but you get what I'm saying. He's, the whole point is, it's power under control. That's real meekness. That's real meekness. So, that leads us to the first aspect of true meekness. If you're taking notes, again, this is, is really simple. Meekness is the true character of who I am. People who display this beatitude know who they really are. Now, I have a clip that I'm going to show really soon. But I, I really want you to understand this because someone's character comes out when they're taken out of their environment to some extent. It's kind of like those people, when you, you, know, you ever gone to a party where you don't really know anybody? Maybe it's an office party and you're new there and you always, you, you know, you kind of go and you, there's that temptation to say, this is who I am. Look, look, look at me. Like you have to defend yourself or, or, or be, show that you're worth it. You, you get it? Like, like I'm, I'm okay, I'm good. I'm, you know, kids do this too. It's just the way they dress up, right? Like sometimes you look at kids and you're like, why would they ever choose to wear that? Well, they're trying to prove that they're worth it. They're trying to, to some extent, defend who they are and say, this is who I am. Will you still care about me? Will you still like me? Because I am having trouble understanding that I fit in, that I'm okay. And adults do this. They do it all the time. That's why when you get together with guys, you know, one of the best scenes is when, you know, people come over and all these guys come over and, and there's a barbecue. And about eight of the guys are standing there by the barbecue going like this. Yeah, and, and one guy, and then everyone else is trying to say, well, hey, did you, did you, you know, did you do the, did, what, what spice did you use? You know, they're all trying to figure out, right, who's, who's it and, and, and how you do it because they, they're defending to some extent their own worth. If I can contribute, let me tell you what I do as my job because that defines who I am. You know, women do this. Women do this also. It's, it's just... We spend so much time trying to say that we're worth it to the people around us. Trying to defend ourselves and propagate ourselves up in such a way that says, look at me, look at me. Now I have this clip. This is from one of my favorite comedians. His name is Brian Regan. And I love this clip. It's, it's so good because I just, I, I was, you know, I was struggling. Do I show this? Do I not show this? But it is so good about the me monster that comes out when we try to make it about us. And I just think this is great. So bear with us as we watch this. But I just, I just think this is really good because it shows our true character when we battle with this. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I. And then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself. And then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. 
Didn't mean to waste everybody's time. <laughs> Telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. My story ain't nothing. Maybe it wasn't, because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled, and I learned a lesson. Don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story, because you ain't going nowhere. The four wisdom teeth people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Halt! Halt with your two wisdom tooth tail! You will never complete one, trust me. I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um... I had two, but I had four poles. Oh, okay. No, five. No, nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots were wrapped around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers. I was eating corn in the cob that afternoon. Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. That knocks the socks off of my wisdom tooth tail. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... Okay, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You see, you see that? Now I do. What is it about the human condition? People get something out of that. That's why I have a social fantasy. I wish I was one of the 12 astronauts who have been on our moon. They must love knowing they can beat anybody's story whenever they want. They can sit back quietly at a dinner party while some other person, some me monster, is doing his thing and let him go. Let him run with the line while you be quiet. Let him have his moment. Yeah, I'm a big traveler. I have my business all. I got my own global enterprise. I got to check on. You know, driving in the Autobahn because I keep a fleet of sports cars over in Zurich and I get this Swiss account that I don't want to check it. Mount Kilimanjaro expedition might have to cancel that. You know, runways in Aspen are a lot shorter the first time you go in there. You know, you know, you know the Pacific Rim Company is going to try to take that over. It's global enterprise. I walked on the moon. Well, you have the floor, moonwalker. <laughs> you know, you mentioned driving on the Autobahn. That reminded me. Once I was driving in the sea of tranquility. In my lunar rover. And I, too, was worried about our speed till I remembered, wait, we're the only ones on the moon. All right. <laughs> Isn't that, I, I like, he's really good. He's a clean comedian, too. I really like Brian Regan. But 
but you know, I just, I had to show that because he even says it. He says, what is about the human condition that makes us feel like we have to, you know, we have to just contribute, like, if I don't do something big? And, and that's kind of his only thing he, he ends it with, right? That the idea of, if I walked on the moon, now there's only 12 people in the entire world, you have to top it, right? Because if you can't top it, then, well, by all means... Tell your four nine wisdom tooth tale. You know, you just because you can't you can't top it. You can't beat it. And see, that's what I love about what Jesus is saying here. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It's not about look at me. It's about look at Jesus. Because if I'm honest and I look at myself, I am the me monster. Now we don't do that today, I know, I know. We don't do the me monster stuff. That's obviously hyperbole. That's, that's, he's just joking around. He's just exaggerating because there is no such thing as posting your gourmet meal on Facebook. <laughs> Doesn't happen. Because I really want to know what everybody's eating. And, and, you know, and I've, I'm never guilty of putting up pictures of my kids because they're so cute. And everybody should just really see how smart and cute they really are. Or, you know, my new, maybe, uh, and let me just say I'm, I was guilty of this. I had a pretty good garden this year. I just had to take a picture of my amazing garden and all the produce that I got off of it. Why? Because I am so good with my garden. And you should know that. You should know that. But, you know, it was funny because there was other people that posted their garden and it was better than mine. There was this one gal I remember and I was very angry. Because <laughs> her garden, she had so much and I was just like, you know, so, but that's the truth. Someone is always going to be better than you. Someone is always going to have more than you. And we can have our little fantasies as he does, right? But the truth is, if our character is that of what God is doing inside of us, great power under the control of the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you right now, you don't need to worry. You can let those guys tell their tales and it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect you. I mean, think of what this would do. The person who truly knows who they are doesn't demand their rights or privileges. You can do what you want. It's not going to affect me internally. You can't. You could kill me. And it doesn't matter. That is strength. I mean, not getting defensive when someone attacks or slanders them. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but I mean, Nelson Mandela just died, right? Some of this has been in the news a lot. And I was telling my kids, I said, he was a great man. He did a lot of great things. But I think one of the greatest things he modeled was a very Christian principle of forgiving those that persecuted him. What an amazing thing to do what God has already told us to do. And when you have true character, it doesn't matter what they do to you, you can say, I forgive you. And you can look them right in the eyes because what you say doesn't affect me in my core because I know who I truly am through the Spirit of Christ and because of what Jesus has done. No more self-pity. No more. You see, the meek man or woman is truly untouchable when you really think about it because they know the truth of who they are. By the way, if you look at Philippians chapter 2, Jesus is laid out in meekness by the Apostle Paul as he said he considered equality with God nothing to be grasped. He didn't even try to grasp it. He gave up his life, took on the form of a servant. 
And what's awesome is Paul then shows this in himself when he says, I'm the same way. I'm just trying to take on this attitude. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He says this, I once thought these things were valuable. You could see the Apostle Paul in the dinner party with Brian Regan. Oh yeah, you're a Pharisee? I'm the Pharisee of all Pharisees. Oh, you know the Torah? I know the Torah plus the commentaries. You get it? You can see, I mean, that's what he does. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as scubalon or garbage or literally in the Greek, crap. That's what it means. The excrement from animals. Excrement from animals, crap. He counts everything, crap. The Apostle Paul was as crude as possible with this statement. He picked it on purpose because he wanted to let you know that no matter what it is, no matter what it is apart from Christ, it honestly is crap. That's all. Compared to Jesus. And when you have that, what can they do? Why do you think Christianity was trying to be stamped out for thousands of years? Because you can't touch them. You kill them and they just keep coming back. I mean, the prison doors keep opening up. We can't stop these people. You beat them and they forgive you. It makes no sense. It's awesome. When you really look at it, it's amazing. I mean, here is Paul. He's chained to somebody. He's chained to a centurion. He can't even... He, the guy has to go to the bathroom with him. You know? He's in prison. And by the way, prisons back then weren't kind. You only ate if people gave you food from outside. The, prisoner, the prisons didn't go, oh, here's your daily food. Or here's your water. No, he only ate, he only drank, he only had blankets. If somebody from outside brought it to him and he says these amazing things like, I'm content. I am so happy in Christ. Because you can't change that character. You can't. Do you get what true meekness is? It's true power. I I guess... um, I guess the question is, what is your true character? Are you meek or are you weak? Because that's what I struggle with. When I fight the me monster battle, I'm weak. Look look what I can do. Look who I am. Or do I say, nope. Look what Jesus has done. Look who Jesus truly is. Now, the last part of this is really simple. If God wants to do something in our character with meekness, then meekness, secondly, is lived out in how we communicate with others. If it's that internal thing inside of us, then it has to come out with how we communicate. Um, And this is more than just talking. A lot of times we look at communication as talking. No, when we are talking about even the chairs here, that's communication. What I'm saying with my clothes, how you came in, how you sat down, how you were received, we're communicating something to you. We're communicating at all times. And so when we communicate with people, how are we doing that? How do I communicate joy? If 80% of all the things we say is nonverbal, from our gestures to our smile to whatever else, what are we communicating to the world around us? We are to leave everything, our rights, our cause, our whole future in the hands of God. And see, the temptation is to communicate out of our weakness and not out of true meekness. Imagine this. Imagine the dad that stops trying to control and manipulate and yell and scream, guilty, with his family. And instead, said gets on his knees and says, Lord, I can't do this. If I really look at who I am, I can't do this. 
I need your power and I need you to go through me with my family around me. Imagine that. Imagine the employee who stops trying to clamor and, 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 and reach for the top and do everything that she can do to get there and, and says, you know what, I'm not going to make this about me and my job. I'm going to say, Lord, I want to serve you and I want to serve these people. I know a guy, he cracks me up, he works at JPL. He's a NASA scientist. He's the first to clean the toilets. And it's not because he enjoys cleaning toilets. He hates cleaning toilets. If, you know what he does? He goes, when he, when he starts work, he says, Lord, I want to do the jobs that nobody wants to do. And I don't want to do it because I hate myself. <laughs> I don't want to do it because I, I really enjoy cleaning urine and, and, and things out. No, he says, I want to do the jobs you want me to do because it's what you want. And, and to be quite honest, I want to serve the people around me. And they keep promoting him. They keep promoting him. He just keeps getting promoted. He's like, he's like he, this is what he tells me. I'm the stupidest guy there. He cracks me up. He's not stupid. But he says, I'm the stupidest guy there, but I just keep doing these jobs and they see it and I'm not doing it to get Aaron. I'm just doing it because I want to serve people. And you know what kind of ministry he has there? It's amazing. It's amazing. And yet when we go to work, what do we say? I got to make the money. I got to get to the top. Or do we, do we want to show meekness? Or do we want to communicate out of our weakness? Now imagine the student... Now, some, some of you can remember this. When you were a student, you would go to school and you just did your best to stay away from everything and just get through it. <laughs> some of you maybe tried to be popular or whatever else. But honestly, what does that bring us? And the challenge to the student is when they go to that school, when they go to their thing, is to, how can I reveal Jesus Christ? How can his power come through me to the lost and dejected and lonely and degraded? How can that happen? Do you see the difference between meekness and weakness and how it's communicated? We give those people Nobel Peace Prizes. And honestly, all they're doing is revealing Jesus Christ. See, true meekness takes more strength than we'll ever have and ever can attain. But when we receive Jesus in our poverty and we truly respond to Him, He transforms our character to communicate His love to the world around us. And the reward is great. For they shall inherit the earth, right? And have you ever wanted to inherit the earth? <laughs> that's, that's an interesting statement here. What does it mean to inherit the earth? Because I, I don't know about you guys, but I looked at this and I went, inherit the earth? Well, you know, we can look at this in the Old Testament understanding and a lot of different things and kind of what it meant for the Jew is that eventually we're going to have it. We're going to have control of the earth. We'll be in charge. And that's why they took Jesus and, and they tried to make him king because they were like, let's get Rome out of here. Let's destroy them all and have the earth. And Jesus never had that way. He didn't, he didn't come to destroy. He came to die for us. Now, this isn't a pie-in-the-sky theology. This isn't something where we say, hey, if you inherit the earth, it's because when you die. See, if you're meek, eventually you'll die and then you'll get it. That's a lot of the misunderstanding, too, of what God wants to do in our life. See, the truth is, when God transforms our character and we communicate His truth through meekness, we can be like Paul, as he talks about in Philippians chapter 4 how he's content in all situations. Let me just read this really quick. Not that I was ever in need. Paul, you're in prison. You're the most needy person around. See, Jesus says, when I was in prison, you came and visited me. That means a lot. Because back then, again, as I said, you had no food, you had no water. So you need to live off of other people's kindness. And he says, I'm not in need. You're the most in need in the world right now. 
For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is revolutionary. This is revolutionary. Guys, I want this. I don't know about you, but I want this. Because when I get hungry, everybody knows it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Get out of my way. Oh, that's just dad. He's grumpy. He needs to eat. No! That's just dad communicating out of his weakness. I want to be communicating out of God's meekness. Do you get what I'm saying? This is what it means to be a Christian. Supreme power of the Holy Spirit under control. 2,000 years ago came as a little baby. I don't know if you guys ridiculous, you see how ridiculous this is. I mean, think about it. God put his life in the hands of a teenage woman, a teenage girl, in the hands of a society that was so brutal, in the lives of 11 dummies. I mean, look at the 12 apostles. One of them was a a thief and betrayed him. I mean, he's standing before Pilate who says, what is truth? Here's God who invented truth, invented love, knows every hair in your head and he stands and says, I lay it down. I lay everything down so that I can communicate what the Father tells me. Do you get true meekness? Do you really get it? Do me a favor, just just close your eyes and and bow your heads. I mean, we're going to be celebrating Christmas soon. And you know that the temptation (laughs) is to get what we can get while we can get it. That's what the world says to do. But Jesus laid the model down and said, you can't get this on your own. But I want to give it. I laid my life down for my friends. What will you do with Jesus? Will you allow him to transform your character so that when you're in those situations and the heat is turned up and you're at home and all you want to do is communicate in your weakness, what are you going to do? When you go into work and your boss or this and all the things are really hitting the fan, what are you going to communicate? See, the temptation, I don't care who you are, you can be a pastor and believe me, I have a lot of times, Jason and I can tell you, where we want to communicate our weakness. That's all we want to do. But God is asking you to join with Him in this irresistible revolution of love and transformation. What will you do? What are you chained to, like Paul was? Who do you have to rely on? Supreme power under the control of the Holy Spirit through us. His meekness saved the world. And He wants to transform the world around you. Lord, thank You so much for just wanting to do awesome things. Lord, I know that in my little community You want to do something. And I know at this, at this church You want to do something. And I know in each and every life here You want to communicate Your Spirit, Your Kingdom, Your Truth. 
God, there are so many people here that can communicate your forgiveness. What's stopping them? There are so many people here that can communicate your patience, that can communicate your love. My hope, Father, is that they would stop communicating their weaknesses and start to communicate in true meekness. My question is really simple to you. As you're here, just think. In this last week, where have you been communicating? Have you made it about you? Have you been pushing your rights? Have you been pushing your privilege? Have you said, get out of the way? Are you like me on the road where you become someone completely different and say, this is my spot and you ain't getting in? (laughs) Or are you saying, no, after you. You first. You first. Because Jesus put me first. And now I'm going to put you first. And I'm going to live for Him. Will you serve your family? May the Lord shine His face on you. That's what we need. We want to resemble Him as Moses did when He came down. But we, as Paul says, have a greater glory in the book of 2 Corinthians when he says we no longer shine like Moses shined where it faded away, but we now have the Holy Spirit in us which is continually shining to the world around us and never fades away. It is a glory that is never fading. Is that what you're going to shine? That's my hope. That's my prayer. That this is a church of people who are just as messed up as those outside, but say, it's not about me, it's about the glory that lives in me and the hope that this glory will shine through to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen.